0: Well, welcome back everyone. Uh, We are excited today to get into God's word. And uh, if you haven't heard already, a shout out to the people on our lawn who are watching with us. Uh, We have some folks in the sanctuary. It's just great to be doing church live here. So I wanna talk to you about the gift of God's peace today. If you open your Bibles to John chapter 14. And I wanna admit, when I wrote that title out, I thought, wow, that really sounds like a pandemic title, doesn't it? And I went back and looked at all my titles and they all look like pandemic titles. And if you're just joining us and you don't know that we teach through the Bible, you might think that when this uh, trial started with COVID-19 that I put together a series on how to kind of survive COVID-19. Can I tell you all something? I'm not that smart, right? I've never lived through a pandemic. I'm going through it just like you are, and I'm following Jesus. But here's what I do believe. For 27 years, we have believed that if we teach the Word of God in context, if we go through the scriptures, the Word of God speaks. And that's important because, you know, as you're doing your own study, as you're reflecting on your own, it's so important that you become a self-feeder. And as you read through God's Word, it'll comfort you, it'll convict you, it'll give you peace. So we're going to talk about peace this morning. And it comes right out of John 14. It's a verse we all know. Jesus said in verse 27, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Here's the important phrase, not as the world gives, do I give unto you. And then he said this, let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You think that's an attractive message today? As I look at the dominant culture, I think even among Christians, the the common emotion is fear. Hearts are troubled. People are looking out to the future. They're wondering about the economy. They're worried about their career, small businesses. 25% of people that live in Pennsylvania are currently right now unemployed. Prospects really don't look great as we move forward. People are putting their trust in candidates for office or uh, science to give us kind of an antidote to what we're going through, and, and, and hearts are troubled. And I think we just need to rise up. We need to look out, and we need to look at people that need comfort. And the only comfort there is is this comfort that Jesus said, that I would leave you my peace. So we're going to kind of break that down today. And the first thing I wanna share with you is that Jesus spoke these words to the men who had followed him for three long years. These are the men that would take the gospel to the world. Peter would be martyred upside down. Uh, These people would go on to be stalwarts and pillars of the church, but on this one night, they're terrified. It's Thursday night, they're in an upper room. They've eaten a common meal that we call the Last Supper. In a few minutes, they're gonna make a walk to the Garden of Gethsemane where they've prayed often with Jesus. Only this night Judas will show up with a cohort of Roman soldiers. They will come with lanterns and swords and spears. Jesus will be arrested, he'll go through a trial that night. And while Passover lambs are being killed all over Israel on that Friday, Jesus would hang on a cross. These men who had followed him would be scattered and their hopes and their dreams would be dashed. They would be terrified, afraid, they'd have no peace. And they found themselves in a place many of us find ourselves, not only in a pandemic, but maybe through the trials of life. Jesus looks them squarely in the eyes. and This is what I love about God. He knows what we're feeling. And he looks at these men, he looks right in their eyes, and he says, guys, you believe in God, believe in me. Let your hearts not be troubled. You can trust me. I've been with you these three years. I'll be with you after this. You need to trust me, and you need to trust my word. Then he says the words in chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, that we all cling to, that in my Father's house are many mansions. Talked about this last week, that there's many abiding places in heaven, our future home. And Jesus wasn't teaching us to cop out on earth. He was saying, no, we all have a calling. There's a now, and then there's a not yet. And then we're going to live out this calling, and then one day we're going to go to heaven and be with him. Jesus said, I've been there, I'm going there, there's a place for you. And it brought them amazing comfort. And then finally he told them something they would not understand until they walked in, that there would be the promise of a Holy Spirit. They really didn't understand that in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit would come at times upon people. Jesus said now it would come upon them fully. He kind of let this out earlier in John chapter 7, where it says on the last day of the feast, The great day, he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me, and out of his belly would come torrents of living water, that there would be a flow of God's Spirit out of every individual that will help us live not only life, but overflow to others. A few weeks ago, I shared that the opposite of faith is not fear. It's actually certainty. Uh, Though we believe heaven is real, though we believe God created the universe, uh, we are not certain because we haven't seen it. We believe it by faith. Hebrews says it's the evidence of things we hope for. And so, so the opposite of faith isn't fear; it's certainty. And kind of along those same lines, the opposite of fear isn't faith. A lot of people are thinking that right now. The opposite of fear really is peace. So do you have God's peace this morning? As the video said, do you know the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit isn't a force. We've been kind of tricked into this because we see a lot of activity within the church. Supposed miracles or supposed healings. And listen, I believe in miracles. I speak in tongues. My entrance into the faith was charismatic and it still is to this day. One of the leaps in our message and one of the leaps in the Holy Spirit is that we have to come to grips with this idea that our message is Trinitarian. What do I mean by that? Well, what Jesus teaches here and what John teaches all through his book is that God is one, but he's also three. A lot of people have a hard time making that leap, and then they have an even harder time making the leap to a trinity, the Holy Spirit. So the Father God, we understand, right? In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think we all understand that. And then there's a second leap, and and John brings out more about the Trinity than any other gospel writer. When he begins in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and listen to this, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He wasn't a God or a part of God. The Word was God, and everything that was created was created by him. John wants us to go back to Genesis and know that when God said, Let there be light, that was Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was brooding over the waters. And when God said, let us make man in his image, it was three becoming one. Again, it's hard for people to make the leap, I understand, because the leap is difficult. No matter how much I try, I can't make three one, I can't make one three. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor Bob, that's because you never heard of the egg illustration. Yeah, I've heard of the egg illustration. That the Father's the shell, Jesus is is the egg white, and the Holy Spirit is the yolk. It's really cool, it's close, but it doesn't get us there. Because if I take the yolk and put it over here, I have the yolk, but I don't have the shell or the egg white. You kind of understand what I'm talking about. So I understand the Trinity by faith. I understand it because it's in God's word. There's something remarkable about it, and maybe in heaven we'll understand. But the beautiful thing is we relate to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The incarnation, Christmas, the mystery of godliness that Jesus veiled in flesh still was God. The seven I am statements, the Holy Spirit is God. And again, when we get to the Holy Spirit, we think of signs and wonders. And yet it's John 14 to 16 that gives us the definitive text on the Holy Spirit. Listen, as a person, as a comforter, as a helper, as the one who comes alongside, and he is a person. Jesus said when he comes, that's a masculine article. It's not a force, not a power. He gives us power. He is the force behind the church, but he is a person, and there is a relationship with the third person of the Godhead. Now, the translators, when they translated this verse, chose several words. I use the New King James, and so it says that God would send us a helper. Now, let's go back to Genesis, right? God looks at Adam in the midst of this beautiful creation, and God says there's something that's not good and that Adam is alone. And so God says, I will make a helper that's comparable to him. Now, God didn't make Eve as a junior assistant, not someone to bring him coffee and make him meals and iron his clothes. He said that the helper would be comparable or united with Adam. They would become one, and there's all that teaching about the beauty of marriage and the oneness. Um, If you struggle with the idea of a woman being a helper to Adam, remember what David said, the Lord is my helper, I shall never want. So I think if God can help David, women can help men, men can help women. Uh, But there's another translation in in some of your Bibles that, that he would send a comforter, this is very important. Someone who comforts eases the pain of life. Uh, right before the pandemic, I had a wisdom tooth removed under local anesthetic. I would have rather been put out. I was terrified of this day. I thought about it often. I got there that day, and I was more terrified. And when I went into the office, I told the nurse, I'm terrified about this. And uh, But when I got into the actual operating area, I was very comforted because They had nice music going. Uh, There were several nurses there. Someone kind of held my head. They gave me the laughing gas. And I was very comfortable. And the only bad part of the experience is I heard (laughs) the crack of my tooth, which I'll never forget. People that comfort ease the pain of life. I thank God for those who comfort. Some of your translations, the encourager. My wife's an encourager. No matter how dark the day is, she is a ray of sunshine. And the Bible says two are better than one, and we all need those who would encourage. But the word I want to hone in on is this word advocate. It is the best translation of the word in Greek, parakletos, power to come alongside, parallel parking, kletos, the one who assists. This is the title John uses. John's the only one that uses it four times here and then in 1 John 2, 1, where he said, these things I've written, little children, that you might not sin. And if anyone sins, we have a paracletos. We have an advocate with the Father, the person of Jesus Christ. The word advocate isn't really used in our culture. We kind of use this phrase, counselor. Uh, think of a lawyer. The lawyer is your counselor. Uh, Some of you may go to a counselor and you think, well, a counselor is someone who listens. No, a really good counselor is someone who listens and then brings you on a path to wholeness. So a lawyer is someone who pleads your case, walks you through difficult circumstances. The work of an advocate is to bring us peace. I want to prove this to you by just going back a few verses in John 14, read you 15 to 18, Where Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive or know, he will be in you, for he dwells among you. I will not leave you orphans. Jesus said, I will come to you. Now, John says that Jesus would send another advocate. That opens the door for the idea that there was a first advocate. And if you were all here, I'd say, anybody know who the first advocate is or was? And uh, the answer on Sunday morning we always tell you is the same answer in Sunday school. Just say Jesus and you've probably 90% you're going to get it right. Jesus was the advocate of the disciples. As long as he was with them, they were safe. Even in storms, he would calm the storms, even when they had to pay their taxes, even when the Pharisees and scribes came, they were always safe because Jesus was there. And now he says, I'm going to send another advocate. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What is peace? Is it the peace of the 60s? Just peace, everyone get along? Is it if I have Jesus in my life, I'm going to have peace with my wife, peace with my children? You know, what is peace? It seems like something everyone's looking for. I think the first important part of peace, of peace as it relates to our advocate is that we have peace that we're forgiven. and We can't take this lightly. You know, forgiveness is a wonderful thing. And, and sometimes for me to understand the depths of my forgiveness, I have to look at the larger world. Sometimes when I watch movies, I'm aware of the peace and the forgiveness God has given me. Uh, Recently, we watched Silver Linings Playbook, and as we were watching it, one of my grown children said, oh my gosh, that's a dysfunctional family. I said, dysfunctional family? That's exactly the family I grew up in. And when I watched that movie, I realized where I came from and without Christ, where I would be. I would be looking everywhere for peace, not finding the answers. Some of you were drug addicts, some of you were alcoholics, some of you were materialistic, whatever, and we need to remember where we've come from. The peace that we have is that we're forgiven, and we can never forget that. Jesus said, you're clean because of the word that I've spoken. We live in a world where if you talk about heaven or judgment, it's kind of passe today. People are like, you really believe that stuff? And for those who don't believe that stuff, think about this. Why is it that when people go through difficult times or make wrong choices, there's a need to confess, there's a need to tell? When people cheat on their wives or their husbands, why do they eventually tell? When people have abortions in secret, why do they tell a few other people? Why is there something in us we want to tell? I've talked to a lot of people at the end of life, on a deathbed, a lot of regrets. People without Christ, why is there regret? Why, why do they know something's amiss? Because we know there's right, we know there's wrong, we know there's a balance of scales. We know that this life will be judged. The book of Revelation says that there will be a judgment before the throne of God. Books will be open. Everything we've ever done or ever said. But a believer, someone who has confessed Jesus Christ, We'll go through a judgment, that, but that won't be their judgment. The Bible says our works will go into a refiner's fire, and the things that we did with the wrong motivation will be wood, hay, and stubble, and then those things that we did to honor God will be like fine gold and fine silver. Um, the only illustration I really have is the O.J. Simpson trial. And I was shocked when I looked it up. It was 25 years ago. I used to stay up on Monday nights to watch O.J. play with the Buffalo Bills. I cannot believe his trial was 25 years ago. But you think about O.J.'s trial, and forget about the verdict or your opinion. But here's a man who is being, you know, tried for double murder and a death sentence. And so what does he do? He hires an advocate, a lawyer. If you watch the O.J. trial, he never speaks. He just sits there for month after month. Why? Because he has a man alongside of him, Johnny Cochran, his lawyer, and he had a team of lawyers, who is brilliant and witty and eloquent. Remember, if the gloves don't fit, you must acquit. Everything Johnny Cochran says, it's almost like O.J. saying. And he was acquitted in that trial. He stood in O.J.'s place. So in the judgment, that's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to stand in our place. He's going to be our advocate. John would later write this, 1 John 2, verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. One day, he's going to stand in our place. And we're forgiven. Now, there's another benefit to this idea of peace. I have peace because I'm forgiven. I have peace because I know where I'm going. In my father's house are many abiding places. By the way, I don't know how many of you are following this, but uh, I just received information that Robbie Zacharias, who's been a mentor to me for my entire Christian life, is dying right now. I knew Robbie had cancer, I didn't know it was this far along. Uh, Actually, from someone close in the ministry, we're finding out Ravi can barely speak right now. And it's so sad because this is a man who who not only with his pen was brilliant, but with his words. And Ravi's book was the first book I ever read outside of the Bible. His words have sustained me, my whole Christian experience. And so there's a certain sadness that comes over me when I read about Ravi. And then I think, well, his abiding place is waiting for him. But there's one more thing that this peace does, and listen, it surpasses understanding. It's not something we can comprehend or figure out or muster up. There's just a peace that kind of surpasses everything we know, and God gives it to us in the middle of storms. To really understand this peace, you have to understand the Old Testament word for peace, which was shalom. It's mentioned 250 times in the Old Testament. It's a greeting in Israel to this day. Even on the Sabbath day, you say Shabbat Shalom, which is the peace of the Sabbath. Shalom was a word that was very complex. It meant several things. It's a wish for completeness or wholeness, a wish for contentment or satisfaction. The sum total of the idea is that when you wish someone Shalom, it's that all that is good would flow from their life. It's really what the Holy Spirit has come to do. That there would be a flow of the Spirit in you and me that would make us whole, that would make us complete. When I think of Shalom, I think of one person in the Old Testament, King David. His life is exemplary, his life is radical. He is the central figure of the Old Testament. Think about that. You know, Abraham's the father of our faith, and there's only 10 chapters about Abraham. There are 66 chapters about David, 600 Old Testament references, 60 New Testament references. He is the last human being mentioned in Scripture, in Revelation, when Jesus said, I am the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. What a life that David had. And I think of the joy that David's life brought to God. David was this guy that was just in radical abandonment to the things of God, and the ways of God. He had a passion that few of us will ever have. He would do anything God asked, and he would do it with passion. There's that scene where the Ark of the Covenant comes back to Israel, and David dances before the Lord. And he gets radical. He's dancing before the Lord, almost naked. And his wife, Michael, says, David, you can't do that. And he goes, I'll get more radical. David had this wild abandonment. For the cause of God, an excitement that that we just we just long for, and we all know that scene in uh, 1 Samuel, chapter sixteen and seventeen, where Goliath is taunting the soldiers, the men of Israel, and King Saul. And in those days, rather than armies fight and there would be l- many men lost, there was uh, a time where one fighter would come out from one army and another fighter from one army, and whoever won that fight they would spare all the men and they would give the spoil to the other nation. Well, there comes a time where Goliath comes out and he said, if there is a man of Israel willing to fight me and if he will kill me, then uh, we will be your servants, the Philistines. But if I defeat him and kill him, then we, the Philistines, Israel will become our servant. When Goliath comes out and he says those words, you know what the Bible says? That when Saul and All Israel heard this, the entire army and all the people, they were greatly afraid. Fear came upon them. Remember what I said earlier the opposite of fear isn't faith, the opposite of fear is peace. Well, guess who has peace about this? David. He's a little boy, and he comes to King Saul and he said, Who is this Philistine trash talking Israel? I will fight this guy. Saul said, No, you can't fight this guy, he's a trained soldier. And the Bible goes through his armament. It's unbelievable. He not only had the greatest armor of the day, he was not only a warrior and the greatest of the day, he's eight feet eight. He's got the tenacity of Michael Jordan. Saul said, you can't do this. And listen to what David says in 1 Samuel 17. Give me just a few moments to get there. David responds to him. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so, Saul to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David had skill. He was out in the wilderness As a shepherd, he had defeated lions and bears, and all those would prey on innocent sheep. But where the peace came from with David is the Lord was with him. I don't think I need to tell you there's a giant in our land. COVID-19 is only part of that. It is trash talking. It is something to be feared. But there's been a giant in our land for a long time a giant of the isms and the ideology of the dominant culture, that every day lies to us and trash talks to us, that it's bigger than us. It can be verified more than the scriptures that you and I hold dear. It's more powerful. It has more technology. Again, we live in a world where people are looking for peace through science. That we're going to have an antidote to this virus. We're going to solve the markets. Uh, I share with a few people this is the first national emergency I've lived through in my life, and, and I never saw World War II, where God has never been mentioned in the dominant culture. Normally, when we go through things like this, you'll hear uh, newscast about uh, people praying, or they'll bring someone like Franklin Graham on a TV set. God is missing in this pandemic in the greater culture because we're Babylon. We think by coming together, community strong, we're gonna get our way out of this. Jesus said, there's a peace. There's a peace I long to give, not as the world gives. Look, I pray every day that science finds a cure. I pray every day that the trials of this world, the opioid epidemic and the dysfunction of families, this is why we do what we do, this is why we preach. At the end of the day, Christians need to rise up. Their peace isn't a peace to sit home and be comfortable. Our peace is to move us to something. Do you ever wonder why David had this peace? This scrawny little kid with five stones, where did his peace come from? Ready? Aloneness. He was alone in the shepherd fields, surrounded by sheep, no adult conversation. Same place Paul was for seven years in Arabia. Many of you were alone. And your aloneness can be a time to be with God, as David was. Henry Nouwen, who was such a great thinker, said, Solitude molds self-righteous people into general, gentle, forgiving persons who are so deeply convinced of their own sinfulness, and so fully aware of God's grace and greater purpose, that their life becomes a ministry. Isn't that beautiful? I hear a lot of people say that things are going to change when this is over. I think one of the things that must change is that we realize that the depth of a Henry now and the depth of a David doesn't come through busyness. David was alone, but he saw the power of God. The power of God moved him to faith and to peace. And that peace would help him defeat a Goliath. We're not alone. We have the helper, the Holy Spirit. The Bible said he would lead us and guide us into all truth. Truth is missing in our world today. In the book of Acts, it said when the Holy Spirit came upon them, gave them power, listen, dynamite, dunamis, not to do crazy things in his name, to become witnesses. That word is martyrs. First day of the church, 3,000 were saved. Then 5,000. Central calling of the church, the lane we've always been called to is to preach the gospel, the good news, that shalom is available. Shalom is available to people who have no rest in their soul. This is the gospel message. John, who wrote this, remember what he said in Acts to the beggar? Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give to you. Rise in the name of Jesus, be made well, be complete. May shalom come upon you. As I look and meditate and pray about the time we're in, I hear a lot of people saying things must change, and maybe they will. But I think the church has been lulled a little bit into what I would call false mission. I've watched something go on for the last 20 years that I couldn't put my finger on, and I think I figured it out. It seems like Christians have been sitting around waiting for natural disasters, right? So 25 years ago when Oklahoma City bombing happened, then 9-11 and some other you know, hurricanes that have gone on, Katrina and such, Christians would jump up and mobilize. Let's go feed people. Let's go help people. And I understand why because Jesus said we should do those things to the least of these. But I wonder, in all our justice initiatives and all our mobilizations, have we forgot our true calling? Preach the gospel. That we have the feet that can bring good news to people. Some of my staff has told me, our church is ready to go. We want to mobilize. The greatest mobilization we have is to tell people the good news, that God can give them peace, forgiveness of their sins, eternal life, and a life that becomes whole. We can pronounce shalom upon them. This pandemic is a wonderful time. When you walk the boardwalk, when you walk the beach, wherever you go, when you're social distancing in line, ask people how it's going. How are you doing through this? Are you afraid? Are you fearful? And then let God do what he's always longed to do. Preach the good news. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Listen, we still need to do justice. We still need to help people who are in lack. But we can't hide behind those things anymore. The Holy Spirit must mobilize and move us out, whether we're in a room of 10, 50, or 50,000 again, whether it's live stream or on a lawn. The helper has come to comfort, convict, encourage, and come alongside us, that we might bring what someone once brought us, life with God, a life we never imagined. That's our mission. That's what we need to get back to. Jesus said, let your hearts not be troubled, neither be afraid. My prayer for you today is you would move from fear to peace. Listen, we may never get back to a standard of living. That's what the dominant culture is worried about. Can we keep our standard of living? Maybe it will drop, and we need to get ready for it. Maybe our churches can't function the way they function. That's okay. Because the shalom we have is a contentment and a peace that surpasses all of these things. But our mission is still to bring people home. Why has God allowed this virus? We'll never know till we get to heaven. But He's working, always has, always will. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. We thank you that you are the God of Shalom, Old Testament and New Testament, the one who brings peace. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, everybody, we told you at the beginning that we would do a little Q&A today. We wanna interact with you. I'm not good with technology, but guess who is? Me. (laughs) Taylor's with us. Uh, Before you get to some of the comments and all, tell us how the, I I know you guys all look at the online chat. Mike talks about it when he's talking. Uh, uh, How do you feel when you look at the chat?
1: Yeah, it's almost a sense of um, getting to hear from everybody. And just honestly, even when you say hi, it's encouraging. It's encouraging to know that we're still a body, even though we're physically separated. And so um, I've just loved, I don't always interact because I'm doing a few things um, behind the scenes, but I love going back and looking at it and seeing um, everybody interact with each other too. And it's almost like we are the church, we are a family. And so it's cool to see see it happen in a, Physical space.
0: So, uh, what do you got for us?
1: So, thank you all for submitting some questions. You can use this time now uh, while we're talking. If it inspires a question, pop it in the chat. We really want to get to engage with you. And so, I've got a, um, a question from Susan Purdy. What's up? Oh, I love this. I just got to see Mike do this, but it's fun to say hey. Um, she says, I need help talking to a loved one who is an atheist and scientific-minded. What's a good place to start?
0: Well, a good place to start is uh, the world's looking to science right now, which is funny because before all we heard was science had all the answers. And uh, science has given us so much. I, again, I don't like Q&A because I don't have time to go into everything. But um, there are several secular books out that you're starting to see, written by Harvard Press, et cetera, of authors who are writing into secular argument saying, whoa, slow down. Um, you know, today, we make science and the church or faith separate, but for the history of the world, it's been together. Um, and so even secular books are bringing that out now. John Lennox has a great book out, Can Science Answer Everything? And they can't. Uh, Taylor, you, you know, they can't answer where love comes from, and why do we fear, and, and why do we have regrets at the end of our life? So um, what I would say is you're never going to argue somebody into the kingdom, Okay? So uh, what you should do is arm yourself with the idea that there is a moral world within. That's a lot of what mere Christianity was. And then I would just, look, we're, we're all human. Um, uh, everybody has a fear of death. Uh, this is a funny quip. Uh, I was driving with my son one day. And uh, whenever I drive, I put the window down a little. And he said, Dad, I've been watching you do that for two years. You, You know, and I read somewhere that people do that because they're afraid of dying. And it's anxiety, so they put the window down. I said, what about the fact that I just want fresh air, Mike? But maybe you read too much. But there is a fear of death. And we suppress it. And we watch movies and we listen to music. And so I would interact with where people live. General fear, morality, where does it come from? And then things like Mere Christianity and John Lennox. Uh, but you'll never argue someone in. You have to hit them at the human level, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, too, like prayer helps usher that in as well. Yeah. Um, so I have some praise reports to mix in. Um, Anna and Adler shared, um, they do, Anna and Adler Roberts live in Philadelphia. They have their small group. Yeah. And they shared that some people in our small group have shared that God is talking to them for the first time because That's they awesome. really are getting quiet with That's Him. Great. And that's just such an encouragement to know to know that he'll meet you yeah. when you sit with him. Um, I've got a few other praises. We have um, Susan Semple. Praise for a beautiful wedding yesterday for Abby Semple and Justin Dras nice. I watched Congratulations, that. Congratulations, guys. Yeah. Congrats on the live stream. I know how difficult it is to make sure everything works. So well done. <laughs> um, it was a beautiful service. Um, we have Marianne. I'm so sorry if I say your names wrong. Schwalbe says, good morning to Bob and Shem. She's visiting this morning and hasn't seen you guys in oh a long time. Oh,
0: my goodness. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> Maybe great. if
1: she replies. I was going
0: to say, great to see you, but I still can't see you.
1: <laughs> it gives a nice illusion that we're talking yes. to them. <laughs> um, we also, Nancy Cross said, great message. I agree. Hi, hey, Nancy. That was a really great message to have to come up and say something after, so <laughs> well done. And, um, and
0: I guess even um, on some of the other live chats, we're seeing some people that have moved Watching again. That's one of the brilliant things of live stream.
1: Yes. um, We also have John and Danielle Groth celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary today. Way to go. That's amazing. Um, And another question um, Susan Capello said she didn't know if church was open today. So I know on the minds of a lot of people.
0: Yeah, let me talk about that a little. So uh, obviously, we're seeing a lot going on in the country and In no way do I want to get political, although this has been politicized. I think most of you know that. So we're at the mercy, somewhat, of our governor who, uh, whatever you might think about him and how he's acting, um, you can read all those different things. So I shared a few weeks ago, and, and, and I'll choose my wording correctly. The church has a federal right to gather according to the Constitution. So we're not generally under state jurisdiction. We're not like a retail store. Uh, We are actually an exempt organization. That's why we can come here and work during the week. Uh, And we can function the way we function. So I think churches across America closing, listen, this is the best phrase I've heard. We've done it for the greater good. In other words, for the greater good of society to slow the virus down, we have not met. But there is coming a time, and it's shorter than I think most people think, where we will gather once again. And uh, we are one of the few churches that has done church outside. We've done it for 20 years, we know what we're doing. Uh, you could space out as much as you want. Um, so social distancing will be an easy thing to do. Uh, and then we'll keep you know, watching what's going on, but we're getting really close. Uh, again, hundreds and hundreds of people on boardwalks and beaches. Um, you know, church shouldn't be a problem, but the church is not open right now. Uh, We will give you all the news when it does open. Uh, I'm talking to states that have already opened, pastors in Texas and Georgia, and uh, so we'll keep doing the best we can. Someone wrote me, is the live stream the new normal? No, it's not. If it is, I won't be doing it. I never signed up for this. I love people, I lived in community all my life, I still live in community, uh, that'll never end.
1: Yeah, and so we have about maybe two more questions, um, we have a, a praise or a comment, James Caravello family, uh, family said love from all their family, and they miss us all, we miss you too. And we miss you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, another question that kind of was from... Um, Your stance nancy cross asked how as a christian should we move forward in this pandemic since there are people with so many different opinions really good question
0: nancy that's a great question and i I don't know how to get you guys there but i know you're all savvy enough to get there christianity today has a wonderful article that everybody needs to read again i don't have the link or the title but i agree with a lot of what the writer said first of all we can't get caught up in the conspiracy side of it now listen it has been politicized. No one really knows of you know, the numbers we're hearing. We don't know what that means. Uh, 50 different governors are opening 50 different ways. Uh, so, so we don't really know a lot of what's going on, but here's what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't get caught up in the conspiracy side of it. Now listen, when I text people I know, I get in a little bit about what I think, and we all have our opinions. But we can't move to the conspiracy side. So in this article, it says Christians, among all groups, are more prone to conspiracy. Now, I know why we are. Because there's an overall conspiracy. It has nothing to do with man. It has everything to do with Satan, who's the prince of this world, and he's moving the world somewhere. So so man's not smart enough for the conspiracies you're reading about. There's an overall conspiracy. But let's not get caught up in conspiracy. And what I mean by that is motive, that somebody's doing X for money or something else. Uh, But let's get back to your question. How do we parse truth? Uh, I think it's difficult. I always fall back on common sense. Uh, The first thing we heard is one of the few things we know to be true, wash your hands. Uh, Social distancing is great. Uh, Everything after that, you know, we have to follow government edicts, but use common sense. And uh, I read that 16% of the people are starting to have other people over. Uh, I think the percentage is higher. Um, So again, Nancy, I can't help you because I don't think you could get two people to agree on any one thing besides wash your hands and social distance. Um, So, I mean, we're at the mercy of what we're being told. And... Again, I'll say this, the, the news media is a wonderful service to us, but the problem is they have agendas and they have to sell advertising. So we even have a more difficult problem and we don't even know where to look for information. So we're all in the same boat.
1: So I know I said we only have time, but this is a live stream. So if you want to leave, I guess you could click out. I think we should answer these questions. Yeah, these are really good questions. So uh, to follow (laughs) up with that, Sue Ainsley asked, do you see these times as the birth pangs approaching the return of
0: Christ? Sue, I don't see them as birth pangs, but the day this started, this is what I said. You're getting a glimpse of what it's going to look like when things go down. So for those who understand the Bible. You know, Revelation 6 to 13 talks about a seven-year period where Jesus said there would be such destruction that if it wasn't shortened, no flesh would survive. So for those who understand Bible prophecy, the world is going to end. It doesn't end in a virus, but it does end. And Jesus said it's like birth pains. When it starts, uh, it's going to go really quick. So I don't think this is the start of this. I think it's a peek into what things may look like. Now, think about this. Whenever we would talk about the rapture, millions of people missing, people would laugh at us. So take this virus. Um, 99.9% of the people who don't have a pre-existing condition or aren't in a certain age bracket or in a nursing home or assisted living survive this. And yet, look what it's done. It's locked down almost the whole world. What if you wake up one day and find out millions of people are missing, not only in the U.S., but around the world, maybe even some heads of state. Now, take it one more step further. Thessalonians says that we who are alive and remain are going to meet the Lord in the air, but, but we're going to meet those who have already died. The idea of the rapture is we're going to receive resurrected, glorified bodies. What if that means our bodies are left behind? What if you wake up one day and millions of bodies are laying around? Uh, I think we would go to a one-world monetary system, a one-world identification system, because here's the idea: if millions are missing, how do they know that's not going to keep happening? So I think you're getting a glimpse of what may happen when it all begins, and I don't think this is it.
1: Yeah, and thankfully we did a Revelation series, and yeah. back in September, about a year ago Talked now. A lot about yeah, that. we were in there for a while, so. I know I've been diving back into those sermons on our website. Um, another question, I'm going to say two of these because they kind of mix together. Mike Gaggs asked, Why are you so into David right now? I tried to say it like he might have. <laughs> and then um, another a great question, Daniel Hubber, Huber asked, Can you speak to Saul having to make the decision to send David? That didn't really make sense. What lesson can we draw from that scripture I think that you talked about today?
0: Yeah, Mike, I'm in David because uh, that's where I'm going after John. I'm going to do the life of David, which I've never done. Uh, so once the pandemic began and I had a little more free time, that's all I've been reading is First and Second Samuel and everything I have on David and the Psalms. He's, and all of a sudden, I feel like um, I'm channeling my inner David. So <laughs> it's just going to come out in illustrations. Uh, why did Saul send David?
1: I guess having to make the decision. Yeah,
0: made the decision. So, so let me say this, um, leaders make difficult decisions. So let's look at the world we're living in today. So President Trump has Fauci, who's a medical doctor, he has economic advisors, and he has governors, right? Uh, one of the things we're seeing is people are looking at Fauci to make leadership decisions or economic advisors to make leadership decisions. That's not how it works. So what leaders do is they take people who are experts in their field and they make the tough call. So I think Saul made the tough call. He's got the armies of Israel over here cowering in fear. He's fearful. And by the way, Saul was a warrior. He was head and shoulders above the crowd. He was a man's man. And he looks at all Israel and they would be conquered by the Philistines. This is their arch enemy. And I think when David comes along, there's two things that happen. One, I think he believes it. I think he resonates with the one person who's not fearful. And then, can I be honest? David was expendable. <laughs> uh, if we lose a shepherd boy, no big deal. Why don't we just go for it? So uh, that's my yeah. take on that. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. that's great. Um, I'm going to throw in a praise, and we have another question, Danielle. I was going to say Phelps, but it's side She's out on the lawn right now. She said that her, um, her and her husband, Brett, have started Financial Peace University in March and have eliminated $15,000 in debt and committed to a full 10% tithe. Nice. That's amazing, especially in times right now where everything seems a little uncertain yeah, that way. So
0: let me talk about a new normal. No one's buying clothes, cars. Just stop buying, man. When when this is over, don't buy anything. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm going to hope that transfers yeah. when the world opens up again. Um, oh, I got, I know who you guys are. I don't have to say your last name. George Sirochi, Sirochi. Sirochi. Yeah. Sirochi. Sirochi. There we go. Uh, there seems to be a difference in peace of God and peace with God. I'm always aware of peace with God. But peace of God seems to come and go. True for most people?
0: I don't know, George, but it's 1218. If I know your house, you guys are having meatballs today at about 1 o'clock, so I wish I was there. By the way, I'll come if you invite me. Um, The peace of God and peace with God. Uh, I think peace, I think the peace with God is what I talked about today. That through the cross of Jesus Christ, and I don't know if I quote at the end of John Two one, where it says, "Little children, I've written these things that you might sin not. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father." I didn't quote the rest of that verse. It says, "At Jesus Christ, the propitiation for our sins, and not only our sins, the sins of the world." So, the peace of God is through the cross. Okay, that is a final peace. The Holy Spirit is our down payment. Paul writes in Corinthians. So, the fact that the Holy Spirit resides in me is is my down payment, and I have peace with God. Uh, we are one now. I'm no longer estranged. I can call him Abba Father. The peace of God, the reason why I think, George, you think it comes and goes, uh, when I look at my life, I would, I, I would feel the same thing, right? So, so, you know, times are normal, and then I hit a crossroads, right? Maybe someone dies in my family, or, you know, someone loses a job, whatever happens, and all of a sudden, I have that feeling that jelly feeling in my legs, or my heart is heavy, like the disciples. And I don't have the peace of God. And I would say the peace of God is always there, but how much are we attuned to it? You know, Paul would write about shipwrecks and abounding and abasing, and he would write about all the sufferings he went through, and he said he had to learn contentment. Uh, I think that peace was, was something he learned. Uh, I don't think it comes and goes. I think next week when we get into John, we'll talk about abiding. Uh, I know in my life, how much am I really abiding? And how much am I, listen, my own advocate, see? Mm -hmm. See, I think people most of the time become their own advocate. They can work their way out of this. And then we get to the end where we realize we need another advocate, and that's where we say, oh, God, I need your peace. (laughs) So I think next week when we look at abiding in the vine, how can I get to a place in life where the peace of God is a natural abiding for me? It's, it's, it's not easy. It's a great question.
1: And I feel like community is so important, too, because I'll be spiraling out of control well, in my own head. Yeah. And then I tell someone, they're like, no, that's yeah, a lie. I
0: think that's it's huge. huge. Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right. And then um, another praise. Oh, this is cool. Clay and Liesl Fawthorpe said that their small group is doing the public reading of scripture in 1 Samuel online. That's amazing. You're already prepped.
0: and And by the way, small group people, I was with a guy this week that leads a small group. They're moving their small group to tailgate. So a lot of people tailgating in parking lots. If you want to tailgate your small group, come here, come to our parking lot. We have kids playing basketball all week. I mean, every time you look out the window. So you want to tailgate your small group, doing our lot.
1: <laughs> and then um, David and Marilyn DeMarco, hey, guys. They say hello, and so does their doodle. I'm guessing your sweet dog's watching as well.
0: No um, dogs in church when we get back. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Eddie Ortiz, what's up, Eddie? She asked, what would you say to someone who loved and pursued God but doesn't feel the Holy Spirit?
0: Yeah, um... So what I would say is, where is the verse or the promise that you would feel something? And I would ask, is that more of a learned behavior you have seen? Uh, People on a stage, people shaking, people uh, saying they got goosebumps. Now, listen, I think there are experiences with God, but let's liken it to a marriage, I don't feel married or feel in love every second of the day. Now, I know I'm in love, and I know I'm committed, but there are those moments of exuberance where I feel it, where my wife uses this phrase, can we just make time stand still? That's what eternity will be. So the idea that I'm feeling the Spirit, right? The Spirit would come upon David. Taylor, this is the way I look at it. I've had had encounters with people where I've met them and talked to them, and when I've left, I've been energized. I knew God gave me words. I knew God was with me. Um, also, I said today, you can't be busy. Throw open your Bible and say, God, I want to feel the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I, again, there's an abiding. There's quality time. There is soaking. There is there is that time with God, and and the manufactured feeling, again, I like to see a chapter or a verse that tells me what that feeling's like. Now, David danced before the Lord. He was in wild abandon. He was excited, right? Uh, when I made the basketball team for the first time, I ran around the block. So, again, I would question, is it learned behavior or give me a chapter or a verse where it says the hairs on your arms will stand up? So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, those are all of our questions. Thank you so much for chatting. That was so fun just to read what you're all doing. Here's some praise reports. Um, as a reminder, join us on Wednesday, 7 p.m., the same link you're using for online adoration. I would say carve out some time for that. If you're with a family, maybe have dinner a little earlier and then just sit with one another. Um, I just feel like that's going to be a great, a great time. And I know a lot of you on the chat said you were craving worship. So thank you, Lord,
0: for allowing say, Laura, all of that. Taylor, I don't know if you mentioned this. I think you did, but... Uh, We'll get an e-news out this week, guys, and we'll get get everything on the web. We're going to move to 10 a.m. starting next Sunday because the weather's nicer. And for those who do watch it live, uh, probably, hopefully, want to get out and do something. So we're going to knock it back an hour to 10 a.m. Guys, thanks for joining us. We are the church. Uh, This is a little sabbatical we have. Again, we want to pray for those who are sick and dying and our leaders who have very difficult decisions to make. But uh, we love you guys, and we'll see you next time. God bless.